0: It, appreciate it. What? You commit mass destruction and murder on a scale that's almost inconceivable, and you ask me to appreciate it just because you happen to have made a brilliant conceived toy out of mummified remains of planets. I'm Chris Spivey, And I'm Eddie Webb. And today on journalists we talk about the amazing, the spectacular, the could be made today with the same graphic specialist effects and script. The Pirate Planet from Doctor Who. Good morning, everybody. As you always know, that my first objective always is to do something that Eddie doesn't expect. And I had up the quote so he could see it. And he didn't know how I was going to read it because I'd been reading things, you know, pretty normal, pretty chill recently. (laughs) And I I didn't want to go full on Baker. So I went a mix of Baker and person that didn't have enough coffee or sleep to like project that into it. I I think I pulled it off. So the peek behind the curtain, Um, uh, because of
1: uh, a combination of my hearing loss and my sinus problems, I actually can't wear normal headphones. So I have uh, bone conduction headphones, which is what I use when I record. Um, and so when Chris was talking into the microphone there, I didn't get loud volume in my ears. I got a sudden buzzing vibration against my skull as I got this, this, this Tom Baker homage blasted into my brain at a very literal level. So
0: <laughs> I decided not to go high level, but for
1: intensity. So <laughs> Certainly the intensity came across. I may, I may have bruises. but uh i am i would like to start if we if i may with your assertion that this could be made today because i find that very interesting
0: well do you want to want to start there or can i add in that this was written by a little known author uh douglas adams because that is something (laughs) i have to point out because douglas adams is a genius all right uh it could be made today yes out of the sheer ridiculousness of this episode. And at the same time, the the literal message about destroying planets for resources and minerals is still incredibly resonant today. I don't know if that was Douglas Adams initial intent, but that comes through from it. Uh, Maybe. I mean, now
1: that you say that I could see Tennant pulling off some of this stuff. Right.
0: Yeah. And not that I'm saying that it would be Douglas Adams and Frank Herbert together trying to write sci-fi that talks about ecology, but <laughs> I would not turn down that dynamic duo if they were resurrected to give it a shot.
1: Fair enough. Okay. Yes. Uh, th- thank you for for allowing me to do that. But yes, we we really should talk about the writer because because uh, you are correct. It's, it's it's kind of a shock if you don't realize this going in. Who
0: wrote this? <laughs> So would you like to go? I know that you probably have infinitely more insight into it than I do. Is I, I am an off-the-cuff guy that could tell you random stuff that he wrote.
1: Fair enough. So Douglas Adams, I mean, is not overselling it to say. He's probably one of the uh, more influential modern comedic writers. But he certainly didn't start off that way. He's well, best known, obviously, for Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, both the radio serials and later the novels, and then later the movie, which yeah. is a whole episode I think we could probably do if we wanted to, comparing the TV show to the
0: movie. Yeah, there was a TV show of it as well. As someone that generally loves Sam Rockwell, that was a horrible miscasting of Sam Rockwell, because I love Sam Rockwell, but uh, that, yeah. he
1: He was perfectly cast to be what British people think Americans are like. um uh uh, but no douglas adams was very much a a person who was uh shaped by his interests and not so much by things like deadlines so or budgets right he would do things like hey there's these computer games are coming out and they want to do a computer game version of the Galaxy, that would be great. I would like to write that. So I'll go ahead and just teach myself how to program in the informed programming language and create a, try to create like a video game uh, and then spend about a year doing that before someone else has to kind of take over and help out with the finish of the program. <laughs> 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 and also amazingly after this, Next season, he becomes a script writer, script editor, yeah, for Doctor Who. And so, if you've read Hitchhiker's Edge of the Galaxy*, and you talk, Arthur Dent makes a passing reference in the novel about being a frustrated BBC uh, uh, pub producer, it's kind of a self-insert, um, which I didn't realize for many, many years until I, I, I went back to start studying Doctor Who. Is that it's it's kind of a sideways slap at his run at Doctor Who because he was very uh, I don't want to say miscast, because there's some genuine brilliance that came from his contribution to Doctor Who, but also not. I mean, for uh, uh, every for every city of death, there is horns of the Nyman. You know. <laughs> I heard though he got along with Baker like a house on fire, though. Like yes, no. Baker <laughs> loved him. So did uh, Lala Ward. Honestly, uh, they spoke both spoke very glowingly, and and part of it was because. Douglas was a genuine genius um, and particularly in terms of writing dialogue, which they both sparkle at writing clever banter and dialogue. And partially because Douglas is one of the many, many people who supported Tom Baker's push to add more comedy to the show.
0: Which is in where I become less and less of a fan of the bigger era. Like this, the episode I chose today is the the peak amount of comedy I would want. And it, it, it is high comedy with a lot of, Darker elements associated with it, mm-hmm. and later it loses the darker elements and just becomes high comedy.
1: Well, it, it, it's funny because there's kind of a, a it becomes very swingy, right? Like, so weird. This is this is season four of Baker's Run, right? Yeah, because this is the, yeah. the key to time season, um and then season five is when romana regenerates. No, 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 I got this wrong.
0: Um, this is spoiler. She, she does regenerate next season. Yeah by the way
1: well anyway regardless uh, there there's this season which Douglas writes for um but you're right it's kind of the the peak era of a good balance between the darker and the the comedy um it swings a little bit in both directions throughout the season but it generally has a pretty good balance and you're right i think pirate planet is probably the better balance inside that serial uh, next season douglas adams show runs or not, oh, sorry script edits uh, and so the comedy gets more and more prevalent. Uh, and then the season after that, it it's very, very dark, and they strip all the comedy out because that's John Nathan Turner's season as producer, and he's like, this is too funny. So you have this weird swing in both directions, and like the last season of Baker is a little too bleak. <laughs> and it, it, there's, a, there's no
0: joy at all. What do you mean Tom Baker? Spoiler, if you haven't seen it. In like fifty years, you should really ask yourself why are you even listening to it at this point? Where Tom Baker falls from a water tower, splat. That's how he regenerates. You think that is too dark? Uh, It's it's oh god, it's such a splat,
1: such a fuck you to Tom Baker. But I mean, uh, we we've talked about this. Like, because I guess since we're here, Tom Baker's gonna run into the same problem that William Hartnell ran into, which is that. He felt he was irreducible from the show and the show needed to get rid of him to, to move on. Uh we're not quite there yet in terms of what we're watching, but we're gonna jump it. We're, we're not gonna this is the last Baker episode. It's so like, yeah, this is kind of where Baker's on his way out. So it's interesting to see that in, in the second half, because really the, the Tom Baker era falls in two rough halves. We're in the second half of that. They're they're very much con- a pair. Contrasts. And it's fascinating that both sides of it has some genuinely fantastic people working in front of and behind the camera on both sides, but it's totally very different. Yeah.
0: Is there anything else you'd like to discuss about uh Dougie A before we <laughs> Dougie A? Can I say that I'm probably the only person on the planet to ever have done that? I will take full credit for it right now. There you go. Copyright trademark. You mentioned earlier that uh, you
1: weren't sure if the ecological message was there, and I, I, I genuinely think it's tr- it is is because later on in life, uh, Douglas Adams did a TV show and a book, I believe, called Last Chance to See, which was about spec- various species that are about to go extinct. Okay. So so I genuinely believe that it probably very much was intended, the, the ecological message uh, on this mm. one. Although, again, it's… It, this is actually a really good example of when people talk about how Doctor Who wasn't political. It's like, no, it was. It's just that sometimes it was coached in such bizarre imagery that if you're not paying half attention to it, you might miss it because it's it's relatively on the face of it. I mean the, the speech you read is is – if you take it out of context, it reads like an ecological screed, but if you're swamped by the sheer nonsense of this story, you might lose that it's a extremely thinly veiled ecological rant.
0: Yeah, it is. It is a horrible Holocaust of like evilness that they're going out. They're perpetrating by destroying obliterating planets of like billions of sentient beings for at least a century.
1: But you know, there's you don't a world see
0: a Parrot, and that really distracts people. <laughs> you don't see them, but it is implied constantly, and that will, goes back to large discussion that we had, though, again about how you can't necessarily, in at least modern day, have something that's implied. You need to like punch people in the face with it to get them to understand it.
1: Right, and actually, that's a, that's a good point. Is that um, one of the things I've always loved about uh, Baker's Run is that there's. Baker brings the humor, but also a lot of the writers generally bring different levels of horror to it. It, It's it's one of the darker runs of Doctor Who. Um, There's a little bit of it in uh, Pertwee as well, but Pertwee is still very much in the action hero mold. A lot of Pertwee stuff gets really, really dark to the point where famously – some, uh, a politician tried to step in and get them to cut it back. It successfully got them to cut it back. It's one of the reasons why the transition happens to uh, Graham Williams is the producer now. Uh, was because it was considered to be too dark for kids, um, and yet it's like the okay, well, we'll 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 you know we won't have Doctor Who drown on screen and we won't have uh, monsters. So instead, we'll just do a fun story about obliterating entire worlds. Or later on, um, we'll do an entire story about a, a spaceship that is literally fueled on blood. You know, those kinds of
0: lighthearted <laughs> kid stories. <laughs> well, we haven't hit my favorite Time Lord enemy yet. The the greatest of all Time Lord enemies, the vampires. Yes. I yes. fucking love it. If I was given my dothers to write a Doctor Who story, it would feature the great vampire and the vampire war that the Time Lords had with the vampires because that is like untapped gold
1: so a, a digression because you know on this podcast that never happens but <clears throat> there was a multi-platform uh uh events in 2020 um called time lord victorious uh, which was about <laughs> um let's take that real dark turn of david Tennant near the end of his tenure and just expand that out into uh like a some comics and novels and whatnot um and uh, it was a multi-doctor crossover although very few doctors were actually in it it was just kind of like you know again, it was comics and novels and whatnot they can write whatever and so part of the premise is that the ninth doctor ends up having to work with the great vampires to stop this tenth doctor going too far upfield and do you, the- do you, do you mean the valyard no, they, they they walk up to that, but they don't actually cross that <laughs> line, which frustrated me. But in the comic – and it's just a, a panel, kind of a throwaway panel. Um, he's like, okay, you know, we're going to get on our, our, our great ships, and then we're going to fly to the, this part in the dark times. And they are literally just spaceships shaped like coffins. And I'm like, yes, that is, that is the correct <laughs> answer. That is exactly what you should do in this moment oh god i love it so
0: much <laughs> if we ever get to do it's not new who because there is a new who coming with the 15th doctor. if we ever did uh middle who and we get to the 10th doctor you realize that my speech i'm going to give at least one of them is going to be the time lord victorious one like that's gonna be my quote oh, i'm gonna oh. find a way even if i don't like the episode just so i could do that and if we did the eleventh doctor, I would have to do the Pandora Opens. hmm Yeah. No, it's it's uh, brilliant. Doctor uh, but, Who has the best speeches.
1: <clears throat> it absolutely does. I mean, and, and and that's one of the things that I, I love about and honestly, Tom Baker really uh epitomized all of the doctors have great moments and speeches. But I mean we saw in Genesis Daleks, I mean Tom Baker can has weaponized you know speeches, right? <laughs> in all of them are great because you really at the end of the day doctor who ultimately boils down to let's put an extremely charismatic actor in a room with a bunch of silly looking monsters and watch them talk for 20 minutes yeah <laughs> that's when it's at its best mm-hmm. and we've talked about that in star trek too right like um yeah. when, when you know star trek and babylon five at its best it's when people are standing on stages looking very intensely at green screens and
0: giving amazing lines <laughs> Because it's a show about, uh, and I know that if if I was a time lord, I'd find this offensive, but (laughs) it's a show about people at the end of the day. And that is where the real drive and momentum comes from. There's only, you could watch that all day. You can't watch someone like having a big gun battle all day. It it loses the intensity. Right.
1: So, I mean, uh, thank thank God there wasn't an entire (laughs) Fifth Doctor series about uh, uh, running and shooting down Cybermen because that would be silly.
0: You mean Sixth Doctor, right? no I'm like every episode been like every episode of six doctor well right okay but but earth shock in particular poor Adric. because <laughs> <laughs> now like, thank you for bringing it back to that because one thing i want to point out is like the violence that is being fought against by some people or at least the, the implied violence of the show that's not being appropriate for kids definitely comes back in full force during the six doctors run like that is when it gets yeah. outrageous and that's what one of the reasons the show is temporarily canceled Mm -hmm.
1: right and and, and it's 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 fascinating because from pertweed to baker there's this frankly staggering 12-year run but it, it it's, it's very much sets the mold for what people believe Doctor Who should be. And then naturally, it's like, we've done this for 12 years. We need to reinvent it. We need to go a different direction, um, which has no parallels at all for what's going on right now in Doctor Who. <laughs> but uh, uh, unlike in, in modern day where like I feel like it's going in very strong directions and people are rebelling against it, um, in this case, it, it tried some things that were just bad decisions in retrospect um so we're in a lot of ways we're looking at kind of this is this is this is the peak
0: really in a lot of ways now that you've you've mentioned that i have to put you on the spot and i'll date us a little bit at a uh, time of recording we have both seen doctor who star beast either beast. We, we saw it before it came out we saw it when it aired or we saw it sometime afterwards you're not really sure when because who knows when we really record these episodes anymore right but as we may cover it in a decade from now. Eddie, what's your hot take? Hot takes only.
1: I liked it. I think it was good. And I think people who are mad about it are mad for the wrong reasons.
0: My hot take, I concur. (laughs) If you want us to cover it sooner than later, whenever you hear this, you should, I don't know, how do they contact us on social media now? Well, I would suggest if people really want us to do
1: a a breakdown of the Star Beast, (laughs) they should support your Patreon and convince you to do an episode (laughs) on Patreon (laughs) with your fat fat cash because uh we did do the power of the doctor on there and people seem to like that one so
0: (laughs) you bring up a good point that is me never knowing how to promote myself and that's why you have (laughs) friends that do it for you that are professionals exactly all right i guess now that we've plugged a little bit we should probably talk about the show talk about the episode the episode itself though i know a little bit of backstory about it because i was really curious about how douglas adams came to write for doctor who and I think this is his only official time where he's listed as a writer throughout the show because mm-hmm. he was like the script editor and everything else later. Right. And, you could, you, and, and BBC
1: rules not allow the script editor to write scripts, so therefore they were never credited on screen.
0: I think that is a horrible rule. But um, <clears throat> so this was... The Hitchhiker's Guide the Galaxy was sort of in progress. If I remember, right, the first iteration it was done, this is before it became, I think the radio serials had already come out is what it was.
1: It, they're they're very close. Um, uh, I think the first one is either being recorded or maybe just came out,
0: yeah. And he sort of sent, that was sort of his audition for getting the job here. And then he mm-hmm. wrote the script, I think it was even called The the Pirate in the Perfect Planet. Ooh. And it went in and it was disliked because it didn't take into account what a budget would have to be. And it was like massive and sprawling. The The nurse was actually the master, which I think oh is like fucking fantastic. Like before there was missing everything else, there would have been the nurse who was the master. That's amazing. And the captain was another time lord and it held like a whole lot of time lord stuff into it. And there are multiple paradoxes on this wow. grandiose scale. And you can see remnants of that still left in this but um then i think it was anthony reed ticket chopped it down and they made it into a something that was filmable and on budget instead of something that was
1: yeah famously one of the Hitchhiker's takers novels i think it was the third one uh, was actually a recycled doctor who script um which at one point in time famously infamously Um, involved a night shoot at Wembley Stadium where all of the seats were actually cats. So they would have millions of cats at Wembley Stadium (laughs) shooting at night. And anyone who's worked on television immediately is probably feeling their their butt clench at how expensive and difficult that would have been.
0: (laughs) I love it. But can you imagine how different that would have made the master's trajectory if the nurse had actually remained the master? No, yeah, that would be amazing, honestly. And I mean um, this would. was actually, this was funny you mentioned that because like
1: to the people who have been like, Doctor can't be a woman, blah, blah, blah. Baker around this point, if not soon after this, would have gone on record several times saying, why can't the Doctor be a woman?
0: Love it. So. And, and I'm, I'm, that's pretty much what my, my knowledge of the back history that I'm going to share. I've got some other tidbits, but they're not as... I think as amazing as that one was. That is amazing. I actually didn't know that one. That's awesome. Do you have anything that you want to cover before we move into it proper? I'm going to say one more thing that's tangentially related in a second.
1: Oh, the other thing I was to say is,
0: some people tell you
1: that uh, this uh, since it's part of the the key to time plot that you have to know the plot before and afterwards. You know, you, you don't. Nope. It, it yes, it tends to be there is an, a season long arc, but it's not anything resembling the way we vision season-long arcs now. It's just an excuse to go from one adventure to another and it pays off very badly uh, at the end <laughs> of the season. Um, with son- there, there are Santarns involved and the, the, the best slash worst TARDIS interior chase scene ever. So I mean it just, it's just an excuse to come here and point stick at things and
0: play radiation sounds now that, you, now that you've now that you added that, I have to add in, like, I guess, the extra bit is that the original script had the doctor finding the key to time segment immediately upon exiting the TARDIS and then hiding it so that Romana doesn't know so that he can show Romana how dangerous their life is for the uh, work, for the stuff they're doing. I
1: would have loved that, honestly, if him was going boop <laughs> and then just larking around for four episodes. <laughs>
0: But that was immediately cut out, because for one, it it sort of undermines Romana, because she has the literal tracker in her hand. Mm -hmm. Doctor, why is your pocket buzzing? I don't know.
1: Look over there. Diamonds.
0: That wouldn't have worked. I, I love the key to time bit. I do. I love the concept of it being like a serialized thing, and I love that it introduced Romana We're in in the the crush corner now because a young Chris saw (laughs) Romana and instantly had a crush on Romana and married Tam, who was awesome in the role. Mm -hmm. And she was only on the show for one season because originally she didn't want to accept the role because she'd seen how the other companions were treated. But they Mm -hmm. said, no, you're going to be a time lord too. So you'll be on par with the doctor. Mm -hmm. And so she came in, she did the role. And of course, if you watch all the key to time, you'll see that she kind of starts up in the middle a little bit and slowly goes back yeah. down to what other assistants do. Doctor, what are we supposed to do? Right. And yeah. there's a rumor started, I think by J and T that she was pregnant and that's why she left the show. But mm. in some of her memoirs and other stuff, it says that that's not what it all happened. It was because yeah. the role was too demeaning for her and she didn't want to stay with it. Right. Right. And we keep poking the bear that is J&T, but I think next episode, Eddie's going to have to tell us the story of j and T. I I actually... I own
1: uh, his last recorded (laughs) memoirs. Um, He did the two-disc set of his memoirs. uh, So I have opinions about J&T and his propensity to rewrite history.
0: Um, And I've started reading up on J&T, so I know some of the stuff now about... that that he's done uh, some of the comments from nicola bryant and some of the other stuff yeah so when we hit the fifth doctor Mm. that's all eddie Uh, yeah thanks right there for you buddy
1: (laughs) but you but you're right like i had in my memory i've watched not that recently honestly but in my memory i had always remembered kind of Romana one is being kind of this ice queen and kind of stiff and aloof. And I'm like, no, she's, she's super funny. And it's a shame that she was not allowed to showcase that as much in the scripts because like you see glimmers of it, especially mm-hmm. in this episode, because Douglas Adams gave no fucks and was happy to give her, you know, actual cool <laughs> lines. And, and her dry humor plays off of Baker's bombast. So well,
0: oh man, it's amazing. And so in the, it was hard to choose this episode between the three, like from the one before it, which is not a great episode, but it has a couple of my favorite lines, like uh, lines I still say to the day, this wind this wind is so cool, it cuts through me like a laser. I just love it. I don't know why it stuck with me at 13 and I am now well past 13 and I still remember it and I say it sometimes, but it also has Vermont getting to quit back. You can just call me fred because the doctors said her name was too long <laughs> or the stones of blood it's a really really great episode that actually has parallels back to Star Beast. that i now wish we'd chosen oh
1: mm-hmm. i'll, I'll, put, I'll but,
0: put the wig on yeah yeah mm-hmm. but because we did demons i didn't want to do something else that was culty with baker and yeah meh. but I could keep rattling on and not getting to the episode proper. I wonder if I could banter for like another three minutes and see if we could hit 30 minutes where we actually talk about a synopsis itself <laughs> at this point. No, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pull this podcast over and make you start with the first episode. You know what I'm going to do? You need to pause for three minutes. I'm going to. edit David <laughs> Lynch. It. So, draw everything out to be super slow and like the old man walking from like the bar to a stool that's like five feet away. It takes eight minutes. That's how Lynch would film it. I could do that on the podcast, but it's not nearly as interesting. You so, are my friend, and I love you. But you are no David Lynch. Go ahead. You keep saying that. And <laughs> I keep saying thank you because it's very true. <clears throat> <laughs> so, this is the format of these are actually a little bit different again now. We're almost more in a four-episode breakdown structure is what we've moved into for at least this one, and I want to say some of the upcoming classic episodes. Sorry. Unless, of course, we talk about Black Orchard. I think it's like a 43-minute episode that's only one.
1: No, because I mean, talking about Black Orchard is going to be like
0: 10, 10 minutes. Yep, that happens. <laughs> so I'm going to probably read a little bit of it, and then we're going to wing it by ear how we do. Sounds good. Part one, we open on a mountain base as Mr. Fibley tells the captain they found a new source for Vassilium. The captain orders it to be mined immediately and then speaks to the people of the planet declaring a new golden age. Many people in the street celebrate a different group dressed in yellow robes in a dank cave mentally watch a young man like Superman peering into Lois Lane's window from that Superman Returns movie. Pralix, the young man is unhappy at the announcement. i that's all that I'm of? giving you. That's what wow, I'm giving you. Okay. I'm, I'm leaving the juice. I I, get, I put the app put the orange on the table. I put a knife beside <laughs> it, and I was like, you know what? Let's just pause. Let's let's lynch it a minute. Let's pull it back.
1: This. I, there's a lot of Doctor Who, right? And, and like, although I love it and I have watched a lot of it several times, I forget details of it constantly. But I will never, until I die, forget Mr. Fibuli's name. <clears throat> I love it. <laughs> I always use the pipe. Mr. Fibuli! I've, I, to, to this day, I'll still do that.
0: I love it. And the, the cyborg captain, like that is one of the first things we get to see for this episode. And... As I give these these bits of my life that happens as I watch these. So <clears throat> Eddie would know that I've been super busy at work. And so last night is when I sat down to finally watch this episode. Mm-hmm. Like I, we dropped off the kid to go do her stuff for a couple hours. Jill was being nice enough to read over something that I have due to give me a second set of eyes on it. And I popped in the pirate planet. Mm-hmm. And she heard the music and she started like humming along with it subconsciously because that is how good the doctor who opening theme is even if you don't know know the old show it gets you yeah it does and then it popped up and she was like what are you watching and then like the captain came on and she's like fuck you're watching an old doctor who she thought it might have been a new one with like a little different sound beat no because she saw the captain of that cybernetic arm and that weird little like metal mustache he has over his lip
1: so uh To this
0: day, I am convinced that the gag
1: is that he was so badly damaged that his mustache needed to be replaced with a cybernetic implant.
0: (laughs) 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 And she laughed at a lot of the episode as we watched it, but to Douglas Adams' credit and the acting on screen, she couldn't stop watching it. So Mm -hmm. regardless of laughing, it is addictive to people that don't even really know or watch classic Doctor Who.
1: Yeah, because like I mean, so you 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 picked a chunk where the doctor does not even show up yet, but like you're 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 dragged into this, right? Because it's a slightly longer than usual lead-in before the doctor shows up, and there's a lot of ground to cover. And to be honest, it's just the captain and Mister Feverly explaining the plot to you, mm-hmm. but you don't care because it's the it is the perfect combination of entertaining banter of the, the the captain is the right level of hyperbolic compared to mr Fibuli's slightly more restrained performance and just what the hell is that on the screen like him taking a cyber arm and punching into various consoles as he looks <laughs> into them is like ridiculous and amazing this is this is before cyberpunk so, I mean, like, that, that idea of, of, a, of a cyberjack just doesn't exist. And so, like, Don, <laughs> we're just going to have this huge hand and he's just going to stick it into various holes in the console, and why not? Why not?
0: I want you to know that someone is probably going to listen to this and take that snippet of what you just said. Yeah, I know. It's, it's going to be internet. Without it's the word it console that's the end of it. That's right. going to be, like, circulated everywhere. All right. Would you like to, to linger on this? I, we could talk about the yet unnamed people with psychic powers hanging out in a sewer.
1: Well, that will, will come later. Although now that you've told me about people snipping my stuff out of context, it reminds me of, uh, there's a pod- I listened to a Sonic podcast called Sonic, the comic, which is about the UK comic Long story. Um, but at one point in time, one of the hosts talks about how knuckles and Sonic are fighting and how they're going at it. And the editor of the show just takes that clip of them going at it and puts porn music behind it. So, so yeah, <laughs> that's, that's my future right there. I can see it.
0: Yeah. In the TARDIS, Romana is reading through the instruction manual to how to properly fly the TARDIS. (laughs) The fourth Doctor secures the first segment of the Key to Time. Romana and the Doctor have banter back and forth, and the Tracer goes off, and it's going to lead them to the planet of Califracts. The Doctor attempts to dematerialize onto what he calls a boring planet, but instead, the TARDIS is rocked back and forth, and a strange noise occurs. And unbeknownst to both of them, it is damaging uh, Xanox's engines as well. And Romana says, did you consider flipping the so-and-so and doing the whatcha-watch? And the doctor says, Oh, I haven't done that in centuries. And she says, can I get a shot? And the doctor says, all right. And then he and K-9 sit in the corner making fun of Ramanda and how this isn't going to work. And it lands perfectly smooth and gracefully. And the doctor gets up and looks at the screen and says, that's not Califrax. Mm-hmm. So uh, another script beat is originally this scene was at an end by Douglas Adams to explain why Tom Baker's lip looks how it does. Yep. Because in real life, Tom Baker, I think, was bit by a dog. Yep. That was I about say. Yes, what happened. Yep. yep. Bit by a dog. This is no fun if we both have this level of, like, totally know. random knowledge. I know. I know. Then it becomes like, will I say it before Eddie says it? Is Eddie going to let me say it? Is Chris going to let me add in that tidbit before he edits it? This is a scene that I still love to this day. I love all the interior TARDIS scenes between the Doctor and both Romanas Mm -hmm. because there's a level of camaraderie there that has not been present in previous companions because previous companions, it felt more like kind of like the Doctor and Ace, like a mentor and a student. This feels more like colleagues, although a junior colleague and a senior professor equivalent.
1: Yeah, the one thing this scene really helps to illustrate is the idea of someone who is extremely book smart versus someone who has lots of experience. Uh, And the one thing that, I mean, obviously the Doctor is going to be generally smarter than Romana because it's Doctor's name's in the title and hers isn't. But it doesn't shy away in general from allowing her to have moments like this. Like I I love the TARDIS manual gag because it illustrates… Like frankly, two kinds of people. You know both of those people. You know the person who has to read the book <laughs> and figure how to play the game and the kind of person who's like, let's just open the game and start moving pieces around and figure it out the game
0: as we play. You know? Some people might say, those two people are on this podcast right now.
1: <laughs> Which one are you? Uh, I think we'll let our, let our audience guess. Fair enough, because I'm totally the person who has to read the book first. <laughs> Look at
0: you. Right there, you even gave
1: away the gag again. <laughs> Man. but like, I mean, just little things like uh, they have a pedestal and, and they have the, the manual and Roman is flipping through it. And the doctor just walks up and goes, Oh, is that what it says? And it just rips the page and walks away.
0: <laughs> such a great visual gag. And this also gives a chance for us to get a better. Uh, if you new to the show, it gives you a chance to fall in love with K9 who's right there the whole time too. Oh, and like man. the three of them and their banter is spot on. Even in the um, previous episode, you get more of a highlight of Ramana being book smart, and the doctor not, which even talks about how he failed out of like the Academy or whatever it was two or three times mm-hmm. to pass on the next time with like a 51% to show you the doctor is not a book person. He is inherently great at these things, but not if it needs to be in a structured organized way. Right. And also this,
1: this features one of my favorite canine gags, which is that canine knows what's going on in the plot and no one listens to him. <laughs> oh god
0: all right anything else on this before i really read a lot of the synopsis now yeah we,
1: we need to go on the plot because <laughs> but you're right i mean this is one of those things where frankly the first episode is so fantastic it is worth kind of lingering on it a bit
0: meanwhile on the planet that's not califrax Prelix is now delirious watching watched over by his grandfather belaton sister mula and their friend kimas who should all have better names. Ramana, K-9, and the doctor emerge onto a nearly deserted street until Romana meets a local who tells them that the people of this planet will be rich because of the captain and his generosity, and there is a new golden age of prosperity. He gives Romana some diamonds and rubies, saying they can be found everywhere. He warns her about the Menteads, and then leaves before elaborating the doctor finds precious stones scattered all over the street, including an extremely rare Oulion. Meanwhile, Bellatron is terrified that Prelix will be taken by the Mintiads. Chemis is skeptical. Uh, Mula remembers her father's death at the hands of the captain's guards, obstinately saying that it is to save him from the Mintiads. Meanwhile, the Mintiads declare their harvest of Prelix is imminent as they begin to cross the fields of Xanax. The doctor hears prelick scream, and that's where we're
1: stopping. I the 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 scene of them trying to get people to talk to them is is again one of my favorite scenes, right? Like <laughs> because it's the doctor is always presented as just being intensely charismatic and able to have conversation with anyone. Uh, so it's odd that he can't do that here because these people are just so self absorbed they don't see need. Um, And then Romana starts talking to them. And I just love the thing of like canine explaining because she's prettier than you and him, the offense on Tom Baker's face with the implication, he is not as pretty as
0: Romana. I just is amazing. (laughs) I, I could see it like that. Now that you say it, I didn't take it like that myself when I saw it, it is more of the thing that sort of the alien nature of Tom Baker that shows up in the city of death. It's like, people consider that is she really sort of like all those processing of different levels because city of death has one of my favorite scenes from baker where like the baron's wife, this beautiful woman comes in oh, and yes. he throws off the off comment. Uh, I, I assume you're a beautiful woman, something or another, how other people would, but right. that is not something that registers for. Him. Right. I mean that there's that too. Don't get me wrong. There's also a bit of like,
1: uh, I didn't realize that, but, but also he's, he's just because he, uh, what they've been establishing, both in the serial and just throughout the season, is that he has fallen into a competition with Romana that Romana does not entirely understand what is happening, nor that she should be competing with him. <laughs> and so and he starts putting stakes on the most ludicrous things, like losing a game of chess to Canine, 9 uh, uh, which is another episode season, but also things like now suddenly he's mad that he's not as pretty as Romana, which is not a debate that should be happening but now (laughs) now that he knows there are stakes in this he's now mad that he is in second (laughs) place and all that happens just mostly through like line delivery and and facial expressions
0: he was so good and the the joy another sort of part of the scene that i love so much is that romana offers the random person the street jelly babies and the doctor's like where did you get those and she says the same place you do your pocket which shows she is pickpocketed him and if you're not careful you miss another gag associated with this Mm -hmm. because i'm gonna skip ahead a a tangent for this but the guard comes and they arrest her and the guard takes a telescope Mm -hmm. and then when she gets in the air car she gives the guard back the telescope so romana is a fucking (laughs) pickpocket amongst her many skills you're right. I
1: actually have missed that. That is that is just amazing, and, and because she just does it so subtly, right? Like like she just like, in that moment, you like she just pulls out the bag and starts eating it, and then he notices like three or four seconds later. So she's not hiding it, but she's also not drawing attention to it. So it's it, it's just a again, Mary Tam is fucking hysterical.
0: And even like the interaction between Romana and like the random person in the street is another info dump for you mm-hmm. that sort of reinforces what you heard at the start of the episode. So like the beats of the episode are incredibly well paced. The sheer bombacity and silliness that is coming though around the corner is something that then throws you off about the actual horror that's going to be associated with what they're going to tell you.
1: Right. Because at this point, it's basically just uh, they've landed on the wrong planet, which is again is also a, a weird metagag because like for Doctor Who landing on the wrong planet is not an uncommon occurrence. And so for a doctor to be so offended about this, you start to wonder is it because he's still mad that Romano's piloting its heart is better than him somehow. Um but really all that's happened is they found some weird jewels in the ground and there's something about new age of prosperity and a pirate and a captain and Mentiads running around. But it's like it's it just like you don't even understand what the stakes are. But again you don't care at this point. You're just kind of dragged along by the sheer charisma
0: and and wordplay of this episode so far. Anything else on this part before we move on? Yep, let's go. Because I'm probably going to go to the end of the episode now. Okay. And The doctor sets off to investigate where the screaming came from. He enters a home, asking questions and checking on prelix. Romana waits behind, surveying the captain's fortress with a telescope, only to be arrested for that forbidden item and the guard questions her. And she responds to the guard with a question of why, which is also illegal. She subtly sends K-9 for the doctor to let him know what's happened. And as the guard takes her to the air car, she gives him back the telescope that he took from her and wittily and throws witty banter at him, giving him some sick burns. Mm-hmm. The captain sends more soldiers to stop the mintiads, but their weapons are useless against him against their psychic powers instead the captain sends troops to find the telepath and eliminate him before the mintyads find him the mintyads burst in on the doctor in Prelix's home sorry let me take a beat i i was so excited i i threw myself off the guards burst into Prelix's home and canine stuns him and the doctor asks for how long and canine says indefinitely so that's not a stun. And the Mintyads enter the home and strike down the doctor with a blast of mental energy. Fade to black.
1: Dun, 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 dun. I'm glad you pointed out that K9 straight up murders people in this
0: episode. <laughs> yeah, if you're not listening, you miss it.
1: <laughs> it's a tin dog. It's so cute. And it's like, no, K9's fucker ruthless.
0: Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is so well done. K9, how long did you stun them? indefinitely master right and if you're not paying attention you're like well wait a second
1: <laughs> i mean and the, the best part is the guy works on two levels right on the one hand the, you can interpret it one way, the way obviously i do, which is like canines kind of subtly implying i've I them or you can take it extremely literally which is also perfectly valid for canine um which is that i actually don't know but i can't say that so i'm going to say is the indefinite amount of time I, I, <laughs> I, I, I cannot define the amount of time Um, And again, uh, it's funny. Like such a show with so much bombast in it, it's sometimes hard to see that there's actually a lot of subtle humor happening as well. And the guy who does the voice of K-9 is really good because it sounds like he's doing everything in a monotone. But if you listen carefully, K-9 actually has a strong emotional range, and you start to realize… Over time, that canine is not nearly as emotionless and fact-driven as he likes to imply. So, like, canine sulks, canine lies, canine has opinions and feelings, but it's all done in such a, a wonderfully underwritten, understated way. And, and the actor does a great job of just, just with his voice, like communicating so much with with ridiculous lines, like indefinitely, right?
0: Uh, well, so, well, of course K-9 does, because K-9 was created by humans, so right. they gave had to give them that personality, and it was in there. I think this is K-9 Mark 2, if I'm not yes. mistaken. Yes, because K-9 Mark 1
1: was left behind for Sarah Jane? No. There are a few K-9 options. Uh, no, K-9 Mark 1 was left behind by, for Liv Leela, uh, and then K-9 Mark 2 was made. That's right. For this. <clears throat> And the K-9 Mark II was left behind for Sarah Jean. And then there was a K-9 Mark III, but we don't talk about that because I guess it's the weirdest.
0: Do <clears throat> you don't want to talk about how they got rid of Mark III in the most silly, obnoxious way possible? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's sad. Yeah. So in case people are curious, I had actually originally chosen the uh, Daily Assassin as my episode, more behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. stuff. But I could not, in good conscience, if this is the only Baker run we do, not talk about my favorite companion romana one mm-hmm. hands down I, I i love ace but romana one is like my my favorite companion followed closely by ace then followed closely by martha jones mm-hmm. yeah Yeah. No. there is a lot that i went over is there anything in particular you would like to touch on before we move on because i know that we may be running a little long but i don't want us to run too short by speeding up things because eventually it's gonna become very very short bits that we talk about going that's forward true there's a lot of cave shenanigans the only
1: uh, so one of the tropes that i don't generally like is the what i might call the kind of the, the the stupid guard trope um, which is extremely literal in this case but generally the idea is that, that the minions of the evil villain are so incompetent and are there pri- are incompetent primarily because that's how the plot proceeds i do it doesn't bother me in this show primarily because uh, we've already established that, um, A, their people are kind of been uh, manipulated into following along with the captain, so it makes sense that they're not exactly uh, mental giants. And B, we learn later, minor spoiler, that there is something involving mental energy with, with the people of this population. So actually it gets explained, but mainly because the the guards are so obviously the butt of the joke. And, like, it took me decades to kind of come to the realization of, like, why are there even guards? Because what are they guarding? What are they guarding from? And it really just comes down to they're the captain's shock troops, right? Mm -hmm. And so they're not guards. They're just there to do whatever the captain says. And they literally have no other reason to do anything except for what the captain tells them to do. So they have zero initiative. So it actually works on a couple levels. Like... They don't know how to handle things that are outside of their extremely narrow range of experience. And we'll see this gag play the better effect later, but just right now, Romana just so completely clowning this guy verbally. <laughs> it, it's a great moment for Romana to show that she's just as good as the doctor at this stuff, but also him just kind of like – but. But no, what? You, you can't have that. And just being <laughs>
0: completely unable to keep up with it is is wonderful. But then you also get the scientist in her who breaks down how they could improve their air car and how she did it when she was 70, like a young 70. Yes. And that's a great reflection to show that also the technology on this planet is nowhere near what they are used to dealing with. Mm-hmm which is going to be a great reflection for when they actually encounter the engines for the ship to go from like something super primitive that they did when they were kids to something else. So all of that is like layered on like, this is brilliant writing. I want to, I can't stress how well, how well the writing is.
1: Yeah. I mean, there, there's a tiny bit of a plot hole because uh, he mentions that the telescope is forbidden and you never really find out why explicitly, but, what's left in this show, you can implicitly understand that the reason why is because they don't want you to pay too close attention to the stars because the stars change. Yeah.
0: That's it. That's all I had. All right. The cliffhanger. I <laughs> I understand. Doctor Who needs a cliffhanger. It's what it it's does.
1: It's cliffhanger.
0: <laughs> it is. It's so bad. I've given a lot of compliments, but this cliffhanger is so bad. Tom Baker's acting in it is so bad. He's like, do I lay down now? No, not yet. Do I lay down now? Okay, I guess I should lay down. And, ah. See, I love it. But I love it because, for me,
1: Doctor Who works best when you, I believe the Doctor is very, very, very slightly aware that he's in a television show. Not, not explicitly, he's not breaking the fourth wall, but he's aware of the how these things need to play out. And so I have always read this scene as the doctor going, I should fall down because I'll make you feel good about yourself <laughs> because you're clearly not up to my standards. But I should, I should I should, make them feel good about it. I should make them feel help- welcome. So I, I should fall down now because this is about the time where something bad happens to me because – spoiler for 10 seconds from now um, – but like… He immediately shakes it off at the beginning of episode 2. <laughs> it is explicitly here just because there needs to be a cliffhanger, and the show is not even hiding this fact in any way. The show is like, it's a cliffhanger. Okay, we're done with that now. And I, that level of humor I find amazing, because Douglas Adams is like, I genuinely don't know what to do here, so fuck it, I guess he falls down.
0: <laughs> it's, it is not even remotely on par within the Daemons. John Pertwee gets hit with an ice blast and is like, KO'd for about, what was it, 20 minutes of that episode? Yeah. Like, that it's, is oh, impactful. That's a cliffhanger.
1: This? Tom Baker's not even out until <laughs> he's back before, like, the theme song fades out.
0: <laughs> All right. When the doctor immediately awakens, Prelix <clears throat> and the Mintyads are gone. k tells him that Romano was arrested, giving him an incentive to try to get to the bridge atop of the mountain. He flips a coin in the air with Mula to decide who they're going to go after first, Prelix or Romana. When it comes up, heads how he wanted. Mula asks, what? How did that happen? And he shows her it's a two-headed coin and Mula storms off to go save her brother and the doctor sends K-9 after her to watch over her. While Kimas, her friend, boyfriend decides to let her go fuck off after the evil that they've been warned about for their entire lives and accompanies the doctor to the mountain, up to the bridge. After they trick a guard through the use of jelly babies <laughs> anything for that well i mean
1: one is prelix is the worst boyfriend ever but the, the
0: the jelly the jelly hey it's i have to do this it's chemist because if it was prelix it would be a oh, sorry. story oh bird star wars fair enough
1: you're right i'm sorry I, I, this is one of the areas where like you're right the names are all kind of made up sounding and like, i I have trouble keeping them together if i only being, know
0: because i literally
1: wrote this this morning that and also frankly if it's not being screened <laughs> if your name's not being screened by the captain i don't know who you are um that's it's gonna show but more more to the point the the jelly bean the, just like jelly baby gag uh, … Is, is great because it's – he throws the bag of jelly, bean, jelly babies onto the car. The, the guard has no clue what's going on, has zero situational awareness, follows a line of candies around a column, and then is shocked when the air car take, takes off. And the fact that this all happens on a sound stage about the size of my bedroom makes it even funnier because like there's absolutely no way this guy can't possibly see what's going on and yet somehow he is so oblivious and like it's one of those things where it's like i don't know how much of that is they had no time and no budget and so they had to use what they had and how much of that is them uh, of douglas talking to the director's like no just lean into it just just it's funnier if you do that i don't know how much of it's or not but either way it's amazing because like there's n- it, it's it's just a ridiculous moment and it's not even pretending that it's anything epic. It's just we're we're skirting around a column jump into a car.
0: Alright, since this is our first time, I think, seeing them. Eddie, what are jelly babies? Oh yeah, good point. Because it's it's not like he was handing them out on Scarrow. <laughs> hey Jar Also, what a jelly baby.
1: See, that would have been so much better if Javros had just had a jelly Baby. This is really good. Maybe I'll maybe I won't make uh Fascist despots. I'll, I'll just, I'll just <laughs> jelly babies are a kind of uh, gelatin candy of various flavors. They're they're the best equivalent in America, I think, is gummy worms. Um, it's the same kind of texture and flavor, uh, except for they look like small babies. So you're actually eating small babies. And uh, uh, oh, also, oh, um, they're very similar to the um haribo uh bears if you've ever had those candy no oh. um, it, it, it's actually roughly similar size and shape um except for i've actually had some jelly babies uh and they're they're flat on the back uh, so like they're not completely three-dimensional so it's kind of like you get you can
0: set them down um which is is plot relevant is,
1: in an episode actually
0: <laughs> did did your did your friend tom baker send them to you when he signed the yes, pictures that yes. you have of the fourth doctor yes it's like Eddie, my chum, here, here's some jelly babies to go along with this picture of me that I've signed for you, my best friend in the whole world that Chris is going to give you stick about every time because he's super jealous of this side picture.
1: Yes, he actually uh, mails them to me every every month. Um, <laughs> I have a jelly baby of the month club with Tom Baker.
0: Oh, he stole my joke before I got there.
1: <laughs> uh, but no, I mean it just came down to jelly babies are just a, a very popular form of candy at the time. Um, and what's, what's, what's really interesting is that uh, if you watch the scene carefully, the bag of jelly babies we throws in the carpet, there's actually a different uh, sort of candy on the ground that he's following. It's kind of a circular candy, which I think are supposed to be all sorts, but I don't know for certain. Hmm. Uh,
0: then so I have candy. the most important, important Doctor Who question for you to date out of all the episodes we've had. Which is? Are you ready? I'm ready for it. I see that you've steeled yourself to to prepare for this question. I'm not at all going slow or drawing it out. I'm not at all lynching it. (laughs) Jelly baby or psychic paper? Both serve the similar purpose. Which would you prefer if you were the doctor?
1: Honestly, psychic paper. I mean, I have a, a irrational attachment to jelly babies, but um, psychic paper just is more useful. Uh, and also, frankly, and I hate to say this, uh, there have been better jokes written around the psychic paper than there have been around the jelly babies. There have been some great jokes. Don't get me wrong, but most of them are in this cereal.
0: <laughs> and we had a, had a good joke in Starbeast around the psychic paper. Look at that! Yeah,
1: so. <clears throat> I love that. Catch up.
0: Any last comments on this amazing piece of cunning by the doctor with candies? Uh no. On the bridge. Fabile breaks the news to the captain about the damaged ship and they can't replace can't repair it themselves. <clears throat> he suggests one more jump to find a material PJX one eight, which would do the same job. Romana is brought onto the bridge and slays everyone with some great banter. The captain tests her technology knowledge, and the nurse comes in, and before the captain can kill Romana, says, let's listen to her, because she Romana mentions time travel, and they give her this massive piece of technology that she has to sort out. She looks at it, the captain menacing over her, waiting to kill her, and she explains to them that it must do something similar to the TARDIS, which is dematerialize and materialize somewhere else, saving her own life unknowingly through her own sheer brilliance. Uh, the Doctor manages to find his way up. The Captain takes no chances as he has guns trained on them and forces them to lend technical assistance to the crew. Romana wonders why the Tracer continuously gives off a signal, but the key to time is nowhere to be found. The Doctor realizes what's going on and is horrified. After they escape with Kymus and go underground, they find the ground beneath them is frozen and hollow. The Doctor explains that the planet... Xanax has been hollowed out and fitted with engines to transmit it through space and material around other planets, such as Califrax, to plunder their wealth. The Doctor, Romana, and Chemis have no time to pause as the Captain's guards emerge almost from nowhere in the tunnels, chasing behind them as they run for their own safety. A group of Mintyads appear in front of them saying, We've come for the Doctor! Screen goes black. Cliffhanger. Is it?
1: So, um, uh, starting at the end, real quick. I love the fact that after the, I still believe, intentionally rubbish cliffhanger at the end of episode one, Douglas Adams literally does it again. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the mentiads appear, and they're they're here for the doctor. They threaten the doctor. It's the exact same cliffhanger you used last time, Douglas. Oh god. Uh, But no. uh, One of the things I I think about this is We we haven't talked much about this, but how obviously each doctor one of the great innovations to show is that each doctor is simultaneously a very different character, the same character. And I always love when you see moments of other Doctor performances inside of a Doctor character. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in this one, I, I, I more of Ramana. The two Ramanas are very different in personality, but at moments when Ramana is being. Dismissive of what she believes to be lesser cultures and is talking shit about their technology, they're so very much the same character, right? Like I see, <laughs> I see Lala Ward's character in Mary Tamer. Obviously, it's the reverse, but like in this moment um, of of her just going, "Oh yeah, I can fix this in like five minutes with you know a stiff wind behind me," because this is just rubbish. I love those <laughs> moments because that's so romantic Because the doctor even doesn't quite get that dismissive, and she's just looked at me like, "I, this is just." I, Why are we even having this fight? Because like this is just so this is just so tedious.
0: I love it. But then that also goes back then that plays heavily though into the fact that she is new from Gallifrey and is book smart and that is what she's used to dealing with. The doctor who's had centuries now of dealing with various cultures and their technology levels has something that she hasn't quite learned yet, but is something that she will get to in her own adventures. Right. If we had to.
1: One thing that's clever that it's, it's a little hard to point out, taking it bit by bit like this, is that we don't see the nurse at all in episode one. She's not in episode one. And she's kind of in the background episode two. She's referred to. She's doing some things in the background to the captain. So we see her on screen, but we don't see her as actually a meaningful character. And that's a very clever slow burn in this serial where there's a lot of, fast stuff happening and it's just a whole bunch of bombastic nonsense at you. There's actually this slow burn plot happening in the background that slowly goes to the foreground the next couple of episodes and it's it's genuinely good pacing. It, it it's it's streaming TV levels of pacing of people watching this and noticing this thing slowly coming to the foreground that you just don't see at this time frame. And it's so good.
0: And it would have been even better if it had stayed the master because that is how the master yeah. operates. Like mm-hmm. spot on. And you yeah. get like that slow burn into like over the top mania that we're getting. Yes, to. <laughs> yes.
1: Uh,
0: how do under- you like? How do you like the discovery of the hollowed out planet when they actually get underground and you see? They use a quarry, basically. How they use all of that to explain what's going on.
1: I mean, I generally liked it. I, it, it comes a bit. This is one of the few places where the pacing is a little weird, right? Because like, um, the doctor is insistent this is the wrong planet. But that kind of falls away for the last half of episode, one, the first half of this episode, and then it kind of just comes back, and then the the explanation is pretty quick on the heels. Um, so that's one place where I could quibble with the pacing a little bit. And, and there's a fair bit of of tell don't show because like you know, they keep saying how how cold it is not freezing it is frozen, but like nothing on the screen. Remotely indicates that it's actually cold. Uh, so, like, throw some snow on the ground or something. Just just help me out here. But, I mean, so that's a that's a minor moment. But also, I'm looking at the perspective of some poor director going, I have to show a frozen planet inside of a hollow planet. Are you kidding me? Douglas, what the hell? So, I very much chalked this up to, we'll make it work, I guess?
0: All right. Part 3 of only 4, not 7, like the Daleks. The Mintiads are friendly and save them from the guards. The Mintiads now, including Prelix, create a force field with their psychic powers. The Mintiads have been a bane to the captain for some time, and Xanax has come to Califrax for its crystals. When refined, the crystals can be used to disrupt psychic abilities. Though the doctor doesn't know it yet, the captain is planning to materialize Xanax around Earth. After mining on Califrax is finished because of the mir- mineral PJX 1-8 has been located there. The mintiads tell the doctor that Xanax was a prosperous planet until the reign of Queen Zencia, who supposedly had mysterious powers, possibly a tissue decompressor. The galactic war she raged were, ruin- were the ruin of Xanax and its people. Pausing.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're we're slightly more info dumping here, uh. but the nice yeah. thing that's actually been happening, again, like, this is actually structured really well, is that all of the stuff that seemed random, silly nonsense, we hit episode three, and it's like, oh, actually, there's a reason for all of this, and it's super dark, <laughs> right? It's the, oh, ha-ha, it's, it's a pirate planet, because there's a pirate guy, and he's got a robot parrot, and he yells at his And they're they're just going and stealing things. No, there's there's a whole backstory happening here. And it's like suddenly you're now going into, okay, how how did the captain get like this? And what happened to Queen Saint Sia? And it's like, why am I really engaged in the backstory of this extremely silly episode? Because it just shows (laughs) how amazing Douglas
0: Adams is. And so one of the things that was sort of glossed over from reading it—that's very small in the scene but important—is the captain is always full of bombast and one of the, and takes a very Darth Vader s thing and says like when you fail me one of you must die and that's when you see the cyber parrot fly in the air and kill people so you know it's deadly so right. we're establishing the deadliness of the cyber parrot but more subtly is when there is little there's no one around except for Phil Billy and the captain. The captain's demeanor is vastly different. He's constantly working on something, and he's talking to Fibbly like their peers, mm-hmm. and so that shows you like the relationship those two have, and there's like a, definitely a friendship there. And so even though the captain is killing people left and right, Fibbly never gets killed, and you have the sense that he knows that he will not be killed in these, but he's acting along. You you, you bring up a really good <coughs>
1: point that I, that I. I forgot about until you mentioned it um was that yeah the uh, the the bombast of the captain has steadily been going down through these three episodes and fibuli's arrogance has been steadily going up and you're right it's around that point where it's like oh something has shifted but it was never a switch it was something slowly Mm -hmm. happened in the background suddenly like fibuli's talking to the captain like you got nothing on me and it's like on the one hand, you're surprised, but on the other hand, it's like, no, it actually has been naturally building to this point. So again, this is someone who really understands the pacing of television really, really well.
0: Yeah. And you don't know what the captain is working on, but he's constantly mm-hmm. working on it. And you think it's probably related to like the planet, this planet device that he has. It's like jumping from place to place. It's not, which is, I, I love that because you assume, well, it's just part of that thing that he's doing and it's something totally different. This is where the darkness comes in, where you find out that like it's destroying and killing all these people, and the psychics it's creating are from the energies from all the other planets, and it has been doing it for untold amount of time. If the queen has lived that long, mm-hmm. which then it gets really fuzzy because the captain crashed here sometime more recently than that, so the timeline is really squishy here. So this is where it gets. Oh, I got a deadline. I need to turn the script in. Sure. And wavy. Right.
1: <laughs> uh, 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 I mean, for all that we've espoused Douglas Adams' genius, um, intricacy of plot is not among them. Right? Um, he is very prone to but this would be funny, or but this would be cool. And that's not necessarily a bad way of doing it. clearly it worked very really well for him. Uh but and but certainly, yeah, there there's bits of it where it's like for all of the command of the craft that he has, his command of deadlines is not among them. <laughs> and so certainly the, there's there's a bit of this, like one more pass through section would have probably cleaned a few
0: things up. Yeah. And so the doctor does what the doctor does. He's rallied his allies to go and attack the enemy. The Doctrine Chemist failed to steal an air car this time as a guard wises up and they are captured and taken to the bridge. The captain shows the doctor his trophy room of crushed remains of planets. The doctor's secret plan is to break into the engine room, but whilst he is looking for it, Chemus and he find a room with an older woman connected to a time damp, used to slow down the flow of time, using the energy Xanax acquires to keep the queen barely alive. The doctor returns to the bridge and exposes the captain's nurse as a hologram under the control of the queen, The Queen believes that she has made her hologram nearly real. The Doctor tries but fails to convince her that the escalating energy needed of the time damp to keep her regenerating will eventually cause her real body to die. The Doctor is made to walk the plank, suspended over a sheer drop. He refuses to jump. The Captain fires a gun at his feet until the Doctor loses his balance and falls to his! And the Captain laughs evilly cut to black
1: so i want to start with the fact that the doctor literally pulls the same trick again trying to steal an air car and actually almost gets away with it <laughs> like uh, this is a perfect thing because like narratively we know the guard's not going to fall for the same trick and the fact that douglas lets this thing go on for so long makes it so funny because like oh, and then the gun comes out the screen and she's like, oh it's such good comedic timing but, like, they, they literally recreate the whole scene beat by beat. And it's just like, what the fuck is happening? He can't possibly fall for this again. And then he doesn't. But it's still just like, oh, the fact that they just recycle that gag is, is
0: perfect. I want to point out that Kemis is giving me very, if they were useless, Jamie McCrimmon vibes throughout this entire serial. Like, because he's right there trying to help the doctor. He's like, the muscle, if the doctor needed muscle, because, but there is no muscle needed for this episode. So he's utterly useless, and it's just a body that the doctor has to explain things to. I'm getting failed, weak Jamie McCrimmon vibes off of him.
1: Well, that's interesting you say that, because now that you bring that up, I'm I'm, I'm quickly going through Kimis' scenes. Is it to the point where you think it's almost uh, poking fun at, the need for a male role like Jamie or Ian or yes. is it just kind of, Oh, you think you think it's an intentional kind of poke it? This is a silly outdated
0: concept. Simply because I think this is me extrapolating on what Douglas Adam may or may not have been considering is that Harry with Tom Baker was a useless companion.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Like for the second doctor and first doctor, Jamie and Ian were central parts of the show. And like they added in, things but harry was a i'll be generous and say less an effective companion for the doctor mm-hmm. and this would have happened i think a few years later long enough for douglas to have seen that and possibly added that in as like another gag in like this script just full of gags and pokes. Well,
1: now that you say that i, I i'm actually on board with you well i think it's less jamie more ian because there are fair bits of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy that we now know uh, seem to have been heavily inspired by the first Doctor's run, particularly the serial The Chase, because like it has mm. talking mice in it, um, it has uh, some of the gags of, of appearing in a place, disappearing in the middle of it, because all that happened during the serial Chase. But for long years, we didn't have access to those episodes, so we didn't realize until like twenty years ago. It's like, oh, that's actually where Douglas Adams drew that stuff from. Um, so. I can see, yeah, between uh, the, the, the Harry run and, the, um, and his love of uh, the, the first Doctor run, that, yeah, it may have been an intentional kind of nod towards this male companion role is just outdated now. That's an interesting. That's, just, That's very cool. That is why this is also so much fun. <laughs> right. So can, can we jump to the Walkie to Plank scene?
0: What, but we got, we got Minty ads. We approaching the bridge. Okay, so I'm gonna be I'm gonna be straight up on this. The Mintian's got, got the, the weakest nurse queen. part of this. The yes, are the least could, interesting part of this the whole serial. They could have totally been written out. I think they're added exactly. in so we would have two cliffhangers. <laughs> yes, it's like they, shit. I don't have a cliffhanger. Psychics.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like let, let's let's make goths who have discovered yellow. Uh, okay, I guess. <laughs> 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 they are. They're goths. <laughs> Hey, oh, so terrible. Oh, my I'm not gone.
0: saying at least one of us on this podcast, when they were in high school, was a goth. So let's both let's, of us literally on
1: vampire of the masquerade. Come on!
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, before we move on, because I think you want to move on. The scene where I pulled the the quote from is in this episode, and it yes. is fan fucking tastic. It shows the captain is definitely not a a blowhard he -hmm. is like a genius and evil but has is working to some larger goal and he has enough appreciation of the doctor's own brilliance we go back to this again the same thing almost from davros where there are two men of science Mm -hmm. and they go and they talk about the science and he wants someone to appreciate his brilliance because he's not going to get it from anybody else so that's
1: yeah, and, it, and it's, it's the exact same trick, but it, again, it works to good effect here, which is the the evil scientist convinces and impresses the Doctor with their intelligence, and, that, and then the evil scientist therefore thinks this scaffold's on to, you didn't support my work, and the Doctor being utterly horrified by it. Um, it works both books well, because in both cases, it helps to elevate the villain, and in Genesis of Daleks… Davros didn't need it, so what ends up happening is Davros went from a really scary character to iconic villain. In this case, um, what happens is the, the captain finishes the transformation from being a silly stereotype to there's some there's a lot of layers going on in this character that has been steadily building up. But this is the first time the doctor sees him. So the doctor takes him not at face value, but the doctor real, sees past the… … veneer immediately, which, which is great. But one thing I was going to say, because uh, this does lead to the, the um, plank scene, is that uh, we talked before and you reiterated that doctor who sometimes really needs to hit people over the head with what's going on. And what's fascinating is that Douglas Adams is doing exactly that, but you don't realize it's happening. The Doctor reiterates three times in this scene how carefully the energies are balanced between all of these things. And then shortly after this, the Doctor spends a lot of time explaining how clean clean Zanxia is a hologram. And it seems like it's just dialogue to fill the padding of those scenes, but in fact, both of those are extremely relevant plot points for the next episode.
0: Uh Mm-hmm.
1: And I think this is a case where when you're watching it back to back, it it, it feels a tiny bit heavy handed. But if you realize there was a week between viewings, it's exactly the right amount
0: of emphasis. And additionally to that, for that scene, the captain gives you a crucial piece of information about his plan is that every planet they take, it immediately recalibrates itself. Mm -hmm. So he's not working on this. This is already a set thing that functions perfectly. Mm -hmm. So then what is he doing all the time? Like, that is,
1: ugh. Oh. Yeah, because what what has happened is that uh, Douglas Adams has trained us that these characters are one-dimensional, hilarious stereotypes. And then he starts just quietly sliding in information that pays off later on in the serial. Um, so it, it's, he's hiding things in plain sight by putting small details in amongst the ludicrous details. For those of you who are Patreon backers, and if you're not, you should be. We talked about this on uh, Knives Out. Uh, This is something that Knives Out does really well. And it's the same, it's it's the exact same tactic, but it's still done really well even 50 years earlier of hide the small details amongst the really big details and then pretend like small details didn't happen and just convince you they never happened when they absolutely did. And that's kind of what's happening here on a slightly smaller scale of like the the, the captain flat out tells us what's going on in, in, in a very small way. And then the doctor kind of steamrolls over that because he's he's correctly going to but that's horrific and then we get stuck into the the horrific nature of the crime and so we
0: forget about that moment until it comes up later so all right before we move on is there anything else you would like to say about the bridge my only comment about the plank sorry the plank is that even the doctor literally looks at him and says a plank (laughs) yes yes any what, last comments? Because I know that you're waiting for the plague scene.
1: Well, and that, but that's the reason I want to bring it up is like this is reason why I'm convinced that Douglas Adams intentionally knows that the uh, cliffhangers are rubbish, because the first one is the doctor going, "Okay, I should probably fall down here now." The second one is just the main even showing up is supposed to be a cliffhanger, and it's like we're not even going to bother with that. Now the doctor has recognized that. Okay, really, this this is the cliffhanger. <laughs> It 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 it's just a slight pinch of meta awareness because the doctor realizes you're a pirate. Of course, there's a plank here, but he's even then. It's like, what? Really? This is this is your plan? I'm just gonna walk off and fall really high. That's 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 the best you've got.
0: <sighs> you know what? I think Douglas Adams was prescient. In what way? I mean, on a how did Tom way. Baker die? How did Tom Baker uh, die? <laughs> uh fell from big height how did deadless know that's
1: that's actually fantastic i love that
0: all right synopsis for episode four i'm just going to read the whole thing so you don't have to worry about a break in the middle the doctor somehow surviving the fall because it was only a projection of him that walked the plank he has (laughs) figured out the final piece of the queen's puzzle the device he found in the room with the body xantia has been using the device to create an image of herself disguised as the captain's nurse. She is almost immortal because of the power of Xanax, which she uses to give her form, give, make her form permanent. Dimiti has approached the bridge. Dun dun dun. They expect the doctor to have taken control of the injury room by now, but because of the psychic interference transmitter, they are powerless. Ramana and Mula have to take up arms to protect the group of men because no Mindyad be can be a man because even out the course of the episode, they say when a man gains psychic powers, the captain seals the bridge yeah. as Xanax prepares to make a jump to Earth. Since Xanax engines were damaged when the planet materialized in the same place as a TARDIS, Ramana De- Deceit conceives a plan to employ the same trick to prevent Xanax from materializing while the Mintyads do their best to sabotage Xanax's engines because K-9 has been repowered and is creating an anti-field to interfere with the psychic interference transmission field. The Dr. Romana and the Mintyads managed to... up. let me rephrase that because I'm going to go off notes now because I, I want to point out something in one minute. Before I do, though, the Mintyads are trying to interfere with Xanax's engines. They have a mental connection with the Dr., who has him throw a literal spanner into the works. <laughs> Xanax kills Xanax. <clears throat> Sorry, that is just still a literal spanner in the fucking works. You've got psychics <laughs> with great <laughs> mental powers and a spanner. Mr. <laughs> Fibli dies. The captain is enraged and saddened, and finally tries to strike to kill the queen who managed to kill the captain. The Doctor, Ramana, and the Mintyads destroy Xanax's bridge and the Queen, ending the devastation called by Xanax's travels. In the aftermath, the Doctor and Ramana collect the second segment key of time from space as it's just floating out there and scoop it up. And they set off in the TARDIS for more adventures in search of the next segment. A spanner in the works.
1: So... You started off by saying you feel like this is a modern one, and I question you on that. But now that we walk through it, I, I, I'm completely convinced you're right because that is exactly the kind of Rusty Davies move, right? Yep, <laughs> yep, 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 But – so I love this episode um, because, uh, like I said before, it, it, it's both well-executed and also uttered complete rubbish, and it's great. Like, on the one hand, the 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 various arcs of Fibulae, the nurse and the captain have all completely exchanged now. Right, they're all in completely different places than they were from episode one, and they've been natural, careful growth, for, or decline depending on your point of view uh, for each of them, uh, and they all reach their natural, well earned conclusions. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the doctors complete bullshit outing of the cliffhanger was, was telegraphed. Right, he, he mentioned the holograms before, and now he has the hologram. And so he has the hologram. He's going to show you three or four times. By the way, it's a hologram. Hey, by the way, it's a hologram. It's a hologram, because I'm fully clever because I'm a hologram. And then uh. the episode goes on to explain the actual plan, and it makes no fucking sense, And and I don't care. She is trying to gain power to make her hologram permanent.
0: Mhm. Sure. <laughs> it's so she can regenerate, Eddie. Uh,
1: right, like the the more you say the, the stuff about the master, the more like that would actually make make this more sense. It's the if this was the I'm using energy to get my next
0: regeneration cycle, everything would have fallen into place. <gasps> because at this point in time, the master was at shriveled husk on Gallifrey. Yeah. Mhm. This would although this would have definitely made we wouldn't have got uh Anthony as the master and Nissa's family would have been okay, and Trocken would still be there. So you're saying Douglas Adams
1: is the reason why Trocken is dead?
0: (laughs) Yes. I blame the destruction of Trocken, not on Douglas Adams, because he tried to save it on the people that didn't let his original script happen.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Douglas Adams, a.k.a. failed savior of Trocken. Done. (laughs)
1: But I mean, again, like there's there's great moments. Like a throwaway line from Ramona, episode one, is the entire crux of the cl- the climax for this episode.
0: It's it's really well written. There there are problems with it, but there's problems in everything. Sure. And it went through multiple script iterations from like to be cut down to be made for TV. And there's no telling what changes had to be made on the fly to stay with within budget. Mm-hmm. It is still an incredible piece.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's, it's interesting because, like, you can see glimpses of the epic scope of it. Like, I genuinely would be curious to see if, like, someone could take the original – I mean, you can't redo it, but, like, if the original script had written for, like, a Rusty Davies era thing and, and all the epicness could have been shown, what it would look like. But even then, like, to have the key – the next uh, segment of the Key of Time be an entire planet is just huge epic scope. Yeah, it, you know, this thing is a hollow husk of a planet that materializes on other planets and mines it for their gems. is just it's insane. But you also don't need to show that; you can just tell people this is what's happening, and here's a small polystyrene ball hanging in a, in a glass cage to show you how amazingly epic this is. But it still, it still works. It's still completely plausible and believable.
0: And then so it goes really into the fact, though, that it offsets that. They originally, Douglas Adams hadn't intended the key to time to be a big deal at all. It was supposed mm. to be found immediately. This still solves that same problem because they never discovered the key to time in the episode. It's like a couple of lines put in to let it know oh, this is the key to time. Yep. So fixed.
1: Right. Yeah. Literally,
0: it's just, uh, oh, by the way, touch this thing with the wand. Boop, there we go. And this is captured off screen. So, yeah. Boop, like a great team of people working together to make something that works and is fantastic. Mm -hmm. The ending, the very, very end with the slow push of the explosive device, I could live without. It's
1: because, I mean, yes, the ending is, again, it's complete rubbish, but the fact is that in the course of four 25-minute episodes, to see the captain holding Mr. Fibuli when he dies is genuinely heartbreaking. Right? So it's like the plot doesn't even matter anymore. It's always been about these three characters. And the fact that Douglas Adams makes you genuinely care about a guy, I want to reiterate, who had a cybernetic implant for his mustache that was damaged in a crash (laughs) is impressive. Oh, and also there's a fight between K9 and the robot parrot, and it's just garbage. (laughs) What?
0: That was epic! Canine shooting blasters, Canine the parent dropping energy
1: bombs, <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the doctor and chemist making it look deadly as they avoid the drawn-in pieces of, of artwork. Where
1: the, the lasers are clearly coming at like a, almost a ninety-degree angle from the place they're supposed to be shooting from.
0: <laughs> high tier, high tier
1: again you see where the script is straining because on paper it's like yeah the
0: robot parrot and the
1: robot dog fight that would be hilarious and awesome and it's like yeah we can't do any of that
0: I will <laughs> let you know that my dog perked up every time that parrot made a noise which it didn't do for the rest of the episode so, so my your, dog your was dog engaged my dog was engaged in the fight between K9 and the cyborg parrot well there you go it wasn't made for us. It was made for our animal friend viewers. I'm ashamed that you didn't let your dog come in the room to watch it, Eddie. Podcast over.
1: <laughs> I mean, I, the, the gag of canine having the bird in his mouth <laughs> is almost worth it. But even then, like, you can see the production crew going, but he doesn't have a mouth. I guess stick it on the laser. Sure. Whatever. We have to get this filmed. <laughs>
0: Any any final thoughts about The Pirate Planet, or as it was originally titled, The Pirate and the Perfect Planet?
1: It's almost unfair to talk about this because, like, again, you have one of the more iconic TARDIS teams, some amazing actors, with one of the best writers of the 20th century uh, working on it. You're going to have good. And, like, a lot of the other Key to Time episodes are just not as, as, as pure fun as The Pirate Planet. But. I think I'm, – I'm glad you chose it because I think it is a good encapsulation for the best parts of the second half of Baker's run, right? Like when I think of what I love about the the, the Graham Williams era of Tom Baker, inevitably my thought – I'm either thinking of the Pirate Planet or I'm thinking of something like the Pirate Planet. I mean City of Death, which is the other Douglas Adams one, so it's like, I'm thinking of one of those two probably uh, because it is the perfect balance of – existential horror and amazingly physical and verbal comedy that is just something that Dr. Who is one of the very few shows that can pull that off.
0: Absolutely. And I've already said my piece about it because that's why I chose it. It is the, the pinnacle and the sweet spot of Dr. Who being incredibly sci-fi poignant and touching on multiple genres at once to pull off something that is, inconceivable and still addictively watchable today nearly 50 years later that is mm. exceptional and yeah. i'm gonna round out our game here so eddie i get to choose companions first from the fourth doctor because you got to choose first last time okay gee i wonder who you're gonna pick Hmm. so harry is not on my list i choose romana romana motherfucker <laughs> i will always choose romana <laughs> did we have, we have i chosen for the fourth doctor yet no wait no we wait because we need to get all the companions before we so choose I, so, I, so i can get sarah jane yes you can
1: excellent all right there we go
0: sarah sarah jane was my backup if you got to choose chose first right <laughs> but all right so who's your tardis team and then there'll uh, be more to this game <laughs> i'm trying to rem- i'm trying to remember now so i had barbara i
1: got did i get jamie i got jamie i got jamie you got jamie because okay, remember, Barbara. the first
0: Doctor episode is a little weird because we only did one. So we had to both choose from that one, and you chose first. Right, I chose right. first for the second Doctor, and then you chose for the third.
1: Uh, right. So then I ch- I chose Vicky then? No,
0: you don't remember your own Zoe. team? No,
1: Zoe. It's right. No. It, it was uh, um, Barbara. It was Zoe. Then it was
0: Joe. And then now I have Sarah Jane. All right. My team, if memory serves, is I got a really Time Lord heavy team. Uh, Susan? Mm-hmm. I think I got the brig. Sorry. I got. Well, you got Susan, Jamie, Jamie, brig and Romana. Right. Like that is a fucking awesome team. I want to see that doctor who people reach out to me. I will write those novels for you. All right. Eddie, <laughs> Even the though reason that you're dead, <laughs> I said novels. I didn't say TV. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Cause I think I'd be a better novel writer than I would a TV writer because I would pull the fucking Douglas Adams and like, this is my idea. Right. Like, motherfucker, we cannot afford that, even on a Disney Plus budget. Saying, like
1: If it was plus the Disney budget, that's impressive.
0: <sighs> All right, now that you've got your TARDIS team, what type of adventures would you go on, and who would be your major adversary for your serial arc of 13 episodes? Honestly, it would probably be
1: a fairly traditional Run of like uh, bouncing between sci-fi concepts and historical exploration. So I think that team works really well with both of those. And I think it would be... The antagonist would be the master, but very specifically the third Doctor era master. Mm. Um, so it would be the... Uh, uh, he would be at the end of just about every episode. Um, he would be in disguise. Uh, increasingly implausible <laughs> uh, pseudonyms. Uh, And Joe immediately realizing it's the master every time.
0: Awesome. Awesome. How about you? Mine with my team would, of course, be very sci-fi action oriented stuff. And we would have bumped into a few of the classic enemies like the Cybermen, the Centaurans, but the primary antagonist would be, I've already told you at the start of the episode, the Great Vampire. Yeah. Yeah. Because the team is, like, a brilliant science action team and fighting the vampires who are, like, super powerful, science-y people.
1: Perfect. Yeah, I, I could see your team, like, eventually making their way back to the dark times and the vampires trying to rewrite history so that they, they win the dark times.
0: Yeah, like, that would be my story with my team. That will be awesome. All right. The reason...
1: I'm sorry, you have a quote before I... Yes, yes. My, my, my quote. One of my, actually, one of my favorite... Although to be fair, there's a lot of great Tom Baker quotes, but uh, one of my favorites is "There's no point being grown up if you can't be childish sometimes."
0: I almost chose that last episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good one because it's ugh. the one of the reasons that I ended the game earlier is because what are we doing next, Eddie? Are we we, we hitting Peter Davison? Do you have to tell us about Jonathan Turner yet?
1: Uh, no, I'm putting that off for a couple more months. Um, well, at least one more month, uh, because one thing we learned from our superhero run is if we just keep going and going and going, uh, we are prone to burnout, and we don't want to. Do, we don't want to burn out in Doctor Who. We love us too much. Um, so what we're going to start doing, uh, we're going to pull uh, a line from earlier in the year when we took a digression to do the prisoner and um, uh, Black john David Lynch. We're gonna do the same thing here. So we're gonna take a short break, kind uh, of mid-season here. Uh, and we're gonna do something we're calling criminals doing good. That's our kind of subgenre. Um and this is people who uh, shows about people who are on the wrong side of the law but are doing uh, the right thing. Uh, so we're going to start with uh, Burn notice, um, which is about a spy who is no longer a spy and tries to make a life for himself. Uh, so we're gonna watch episode one, pilot, season one, uh, season one, episode seven, Broken rules. And then Season 2, Episode 13, Bad Breaks.
0: Awesome. If people are looking to purchase some of your sweet, sweet swag of stuff you've created, stuff that you really think is awesome that will still give you money for doing, or if they just want to send you money, how would they do so? (laughs) If you want to
1: send me money, I can can hook you up with my Ko-Fi. But uh, if you want to buy my stuff The stuff that gets me a cut um the best one is my creator own stuff which you can find at realmsofpugmire.com if you're into dogs and cats and having them going on amazing fantasy adventures that is definitely the best place to go um but if you want to check any of my work out uh you can find that all at uh, pugsteady.com uh, or you could find me on the darker hue discord uh where currently i am still still complaining about the Daleks. Although I have seen the colorized version of the Daleks and it actually is a lot better. How about you? Uh,
0: If you're looking to support me, you can go to the Darker Studios Studios website and buy anything from there. Uh, I have a Kofi, I think, somewhere in existence if you want to give money to that. But the best place is going to be something that you haven't heard of. That's going to be my Patreon, where I only charge you for when I actually post something. And I post one to three times a month with what i think is great material and if i don't think it's cool enough i won't i don't post it otherwise i guess that's it for this episode and we'll come back to you next time with burn notice starring the impeccable only character that matters in the whole show i believe bruce campbell absolutely so see you next week uh, where we burn some spies <laughs>